So Clay, yes. what uh, before this started, what um, what Star Trek did you try to catch up on Picard with? Did you try to catch up on anything? Did you rewatch any episodes? I did. Uh, I watched the Hugh episode of uh, TNG. I Borg because I don't know if I don't know if I ever watched it. I can't remember if I watched it for the show or not. Uh, it didn't seem familiar as I was watching it. And if you're screaming at me right now that I covered it and I had a lot to say about it, then I appreciate you having a better memory than I do, listeners of the show. <laughs> I wa- is that the only thing that you watched? Uh, well, I mean, technically, we, we watched the Kelvin movies, which is sort of a yeah. primer for this as well. That's a good reminder. Um, I, d- I didn't even remember that we did that. So, yeah, I did Star Trek 2009. I watched Best of Both Worlds, Measure of a Man. Uh, and I Borg, which is the one that you mm. watched at the same time. So, I, if I had watched Measure of a Man, it probably would have helped because uh, I didn't realize that what's his name, Bruce Maddox, was the mm-hmm. guy from that episode. Yeah, uh, so that's a nice little tie-in too. And um, what's nice about living in this internet universe is that now I don't even think you need to watch things because the amount the the, glut, the glut of coverage about it tells you exactly what you need to know going into these things. So it's not really like you need to know as long as you follow someone on Twitter who's talking about it, you kind of know what's going on. But we're going to talk- find find a ten Easter eggs I might have missed video. Yes, about the first episode Six, of Picard. sixty-five and Easter. <laughs> Can we talk about that uh, first? An Easter sure. egg is not. A detail in something. An Easter egg is a sure. hidden thing that should not exist in that universe, but does as a kind of like, you know, think it's like an egg existing hidden somewhere in your house. Yeah, I I would agree and disagree about that because I think um, I think that's probably a catch-all term for references, and uh, and I think I don't think Easter egg has to be something that doesn't. Um, that shouldn't exist, but I think it. I think it can still count as something that you, they don't bring a ton of attention to. When it's part of the plot, no, it's not an Easter egg. That's just part of the plot. But say, like um, in Star Trek Into Darkness, when they're you know walking and talking, and they make a comment about the mud incident or uh, uh, Nurse Chapel, I would call those those are closer to Easter eggs for me. No, I, yeah, I don't consider that an Easter egg really. Um, my example in the Discord that I use is that in video games, they do things frequently where, like, the designers have an edge of a level. And if you get behind it or something, there's occasionally, like, a little note from the devs that says, like, it's a sign that will say, like, this is the end of the game, please turn around, things like that. Right. That's an Easter yeah. egg because it's it's breaking the reality of what you're doing. And I, Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I just okay. think, it's a, I think it's a broader catch-all term now for stuff like that. So let's uh, get into Picard. We've talked enough about that. So we're going to play some music, and then we'll come back, and we'll break it down. For those of you on YouTube, you're not going to actually see any music. Alright, Clay. So, this is it. The first episode of Star Trek Picard is called Remembrance. Mm. It is the first of the first season of this. It came out on January 23rd, 2020. Teleplay goes to Akiva Goldsman and James Duff. Story credit goes to Akiva Goldsman, Michael Chabon, Kristen Bayer, Kirsten Bayer, Alex Kurtzman, and James Duff. Directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. At the end of the 24th century, the 14 years after his retirement from Starfleet, Jean-Luc Picard is living a quiet life on his vineyard, Chateau Picard. When he is sought out by a mysterious young woman, Daj, in, name, uh, in need of his help, he soon realizes that he may have personal connections to his own past. So it's been a long wait. We've been waiting for Star Trek Picard to come out. It finally did. Here we are, and now we're going to talk about it. So what did you think of Star Trek Picard, the first episode? Not happy. And I'll tell you why. Um, Picard goes to Starfleet, the archives. They have plenty of opportunities to do so, but we never get to see what the goddamn pins look like. <laughs> And it's the only thing I care about. <laughs> I think it's and I know it's probably coming, episode. but I was yeah, I was yeah. just waiting for it. As soon as I saw the black and the yellow, I was like, "Oh my god, they've got those insignias on! I can't wait to see what they look." Like. And uh, totally didn't uh, fulfill my expectations there. So I'm writing off the show as a whole. Data's wearing uh, a pin, right? In the opening sequence, he must be. He must have a yeah, little, but uh, that's that's an old one. He wear he's got the uh, oh, you want uh, the new one? He's got the nemesis. I want pin. I want to see what the new stuff looks like. I don't care about the old stuff. No. Uh, no, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, I 
I, I, some people have gone back and forth. I've seen about the pacing of it and how it's quote unquote slow, but uh, I actually don't mind it. I think it's, I think there, it's just very deliberate and it's not like nothing happens in the first episode. A lot of stuff happens. They give you a lot of information. Um, they do a good job of, of getting Picard showing you where he is in his life and, and, and giving him a catalyst to move forward. Um, I thought the flashback stuff or the dream sequence stuff worked pretty well. It's always nice to see the, the enterprise D. Um, yeah, overall, I, I, I really, I, I like that the story is basically like Star Trek meets Blade Runner kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought it overall, I thought it worked really well for me. I liked it. Um, I think that I – it's funny because going into it, all the reviews were like, it's pretty slow through its first three episodes. And I, I don't I don't really agree with that. I think that No, it's I like, don't either. It's – what it is actually is I think it feels like – it definitely has problems in it. And like going into it, I, I still am an idiot and I still sort of take Star Trek Twitter at its word when it's like reviewing mm-hmm. things and people are saying like, this is the greatest episode that I've ever seen. Like what a, what a, what a masterpiece of things. And I I think it has problems. I think that it has a lot of discovery holdovers and into darkness holdovers. But I think that the the material that they're doing kind of disguises it in a way. Lieutenant Commander Data, operations officer on the Enterprise was synthetic. Did you ever lose faith in him? Never. What was it that you lost faith in, Admiral? You've never spoken about your departure from Starfleet. Didn't you, in fact, resign your commission in protest? Tell us, Admiral. Why did you really quit Starfleet? Because it was no longer Starfleet. I'm sorry? Because it was no longer Starfleet. For as great looking as this is, I think this is probably the best looking Star Trek show. Oh they've yeah, ever it looks done. fantastic! It looks, it really looks great. Yeah. Very, very well shot. Very, yeah. uh, the effects look good. It's grounded and not super sci- uh, sci-fi at this point. Anyway, mm-hmm. things, things look. I think they did a good job of making things look both like old Star Trek and kind of new. Like the Borg cube at the end looks very like an updated version of what the cube would look like. And I think the, right. the Enterprise D looks good. What I think that they stumble with is. I saw Darren, a uh, guest of the podcast on Twitter, saying that it, it struggles to combine TNG exposition with modern pacing. And I don't think I agree with that because I I think that it's not doing TNG exposition. I think it's just very bad at doing exposition. These modern track shows are like really bad at doing exposition, I think. And I think that this one struggles. And, and of course, we're grading this on a, a curve because it's the pilot. But... Here's my example. The the end the second to the last sequence where Picard goes to the Daystrom Institute and he talks mm-hmm. to that doctor. Mm-hmm. They are talking to each other about stuff that both of them know and they are both acting as if this is new information that they're being told to each other, right? Like is is that stuff that Picard would know? Why wouldn't he know any of this? She's like, she's like, did you know that Rogue since attacked Mars? He's like, are you kidding me? Bruce Maddox did this. Why does Picard? Why does Picard not know this? If he if he's resigning from Starfleet about all of this stuff. And this is not a secret. She's just telling him like a tour guide, like this is the stuff that went on. I find it bizarre that he doesn't know this stuff. And it only comes across as they're doing it for the audience's benefit of trying to catch people up. And I know that in TNG, there was exposition. They would beam down to a planet and they'd say like, yeah, this is a mining planet where we drill for mines and we're inventing a new kind of mining drill. And you go, okay, that's inter- like that's very exposition-y, but it makes sense that the characters wouldn't know that at that point. Here, I, you disagree? I, I, I don't know... Explain to me why you think that stuff Picard would know. Because she's telling him about the synth attack. She's telling him what happened to B4. She's telling him what happened to Data. She's telling him all this stuff about like what Data's sort of like, um, what the what the process of building these synths was. They shut down the Daystrom Institute. None of this seems to be top secret. And because Picard resigned over all this stuff, I'm shocked he has no information about it whatsoever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I guess so. The other, example, the other example I'm going to go to is the Romulan scene at the very end, where the Romulan is talking to the second clone of Dodge mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those people have a, they're like, their conversation is, hey, nice to meet you. Nice necklace. She's like, yeah, my sister gave this. He's like, my sister died. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's this, it's this yeah. very blunt conversation between the two of that them. And I think weird. that it suffers from that. 
That's my big yeah, problem with it. You know, I I didn't really mind it for the most part because I mean it's it's information that you need to have. You know, it, it uh, the I thought the stuff at the Daystrom Institute was was pretty interesting. Um, and I mean, that's information that the you as an audience member does need to get. Uh, and so. I feel like they kind of run the gamut of expository devices in this episode, whether it's uh, slightly off screen news camera footage or doing an interview with someone who was there for whatever, who can, you know, run, run through it for you uh, or dream sequences or just flat out having a conversation about it. There's a lot of stuff they have to get to. And I don't know. I did. did it didn't really bother me. I, 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 I don't know how else they would give you that information. I think you'd you'd pace it out better because that's my that's my idea of the pacing problem. I'm I'm a little bit surprised that this first episode I went in expecting what a couple of days in the life of Picard are like at this point mm-hmm. in his career because they don't really do that. They just say he's unhappy. He has one scene. He's like I, I wish I could go back or I could do something. And I would say that the pacing is generally. Not great, I guess, because I think Dodge is a good example of that. When she shows up, Picard is just like, I'm all in. Whatever you need, we're doing yeah, this. We're doing this weird. together. Me and, me and you, yeah, we're going to do this, baby. Some random person shows up to his house talking about how she just killed three people, and he's like, yeah, tell me more. And he's like, I believe immediately you. Call, <laughs> doesn't immediately call for the cops or something. This could all be going towards a thing where... um. This is like a senile Alzheimer's dream of Picard where he believes this woman to be a uh, android. Like he never offers to cut her arm off or tear her arm off and be like, "Are you an android? Like prove to me that you're actually an android." He he just kind of buys in. That's I think that's a mistake and I think that that's discovery pacing. Except they've mm. toned it down slightly and because it all takes place on Earth, they they're kind of limited in how fast they can do it. I, I think that's a better version of discovery, but I still think it's very accelerated in how people talk to each other and how people um, exchange information and agree with each other in terms of what they're going to do going forward. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's that egregious though. I think I think you're right in that it's hidden a lot better, um, and I think hiding it does a lot of the heavy lifting of making it seem less bad. Um, I have probably more of a problem with um, dream dream sequence Data's daughter by painting revelation. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit weird and kind of silly. I feel but, that can uh, be that can be written around. Again, the caveat for all of this is this is the first episode, and it's hard to tell what they're going to choose to flesh out and what they're not going to choose to flesh out. Yeah, I mean, I don't need it fleshed out. I just think it's kind of a silly mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of yeah, what? I, in terms of what, I guess I don't know. It's just why does she look like the painting that no one else has seen? Maddox saw it. When did he see it? That's what they say. They say that Maddox designed her to look like that memory of the painting. So he saw the painting from Data's memory? Or he saw the actual painting. One of those two. He probably saw it from Data's memory. Yeah. Sure. I guess. Whatever. I mean, it's not really, it's not important. I don't really care. It's just, I find it to be a kind of a silly mechanic. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, I, it's. I kind of went in thinking that they were going to do some kind of complicated time travel thing with it. So I was glad that they made it a memory of data thing where they just like they programmed him. They took his programming out and they're like, oh, there's a picture. This is his daughter. He called this painting daughter. Let's make these things his daughter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that tracks. Um, I think it's less that the the point to point on that end isn't as weird to me as maybe the uh, the revelation on Picard's end by by dream sequence. Um, he doesn't really, like you're saying, he's kind of all in very quickly and doesn't really do a lot of, um, he's taking a lot of leaps of faith, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. and is not doing as much deductive, hard science reasoning. Um, I would I but, would buy know. it. I would buy his leaps of logic if you had spent an episode showing how desperately bored he was. You know what I mean? Like if sure. he's if he's if he's banging to get back out there and is just like I'm tired of these grapes. I'm tired of all this nonsense. Like give me and then this woman comes in and is like I'm an android. He's like oh my god, finally something to get me out of the doldrums here. I'd buy into that. Well, I, I don't know if we've spent enough time with Picard at this point to really make that feel like it was an earned thing. Yeah, I don't think that's the angle they're going with Picard though. I don't think that they're going that oh he's just you know he's very restless. I think that as as they kind of do with that final spe- well the speech he has after uh the girl gets blown up uh he hasn't 
he hasn't been doing anything. He's just been waiting to die. And it's not that he's he's not restless about wanting to get back out there. He's just actively not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get you know, I I don't necessarily I don't need a, an episode before this where he's just sort of like dicking around for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I guess he doesn't even go to space until the third third episode. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's clearly they're taking their time as it is. I don't really know if they need to take that much more time with that stuff. Um, you, you kinda, I, they, go ahead. Sorry. No, for, go ahead. You don't think Picard's mindset is key to this whole series? It is, but I mean, he, he sums it up fairly well at the at the end there. I mean, I guess they probably could have showed it a little bit better, I guess. Yeah, but I, I just feel... I feel that they. I feel it's rushing to get into that. I do. I do feel that you need extended time with Picard at this point because he's mm-hmm. he's definitely different. Just because Patrick Stewart is now old, like this is an old right. Picard, and you can attribute a lot of his, the way that he's played to him just being older, and Patrick Stewart has kind of changed, and he seems more mellow. He's less of a commander in this. I guess it was the way I would describe him. He seems much. Um, he's more cordial and nicer to people, I think, than Picard ever was. Picard was always mm-hmm. a little bit standoffish. And I would have liked to, if, you, if you're making that jump, like on some level when I'm watching this, because I don't spend a lot of time with Picard, it feels like Brent Spiner and Patrick Stewart cosplaying as these characters in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't feel like I'm still in the same universe. I even think when they go back and they wear the old uniforms, they look like they don't fit right almost. Like they look like they're intentionally not fitted to them. And mm-hmm. it looks like they're playing dress up. So I think that just to get me back into the swing of things, I would have really appreciated extended time with Picard to see what he's doing sure. at this point, like what he does day to day. If he's not bored, I think I might be drawing the bored thing from the trailer at the end where he talks about like, it's been so long since I felt the space basically like he, he right. it seems like he wants to get back to it. I just think that um, I would have appreciated that. And th- maybe I'm holding it against it because it feels like discovery pacing where they want this to go immediately and they want to get into this and they want to do all these things. But Again, I was just surprised that people said that this was a leisurely paced episode because I don't think mm. it is. Maybe over the course of the next two episodes, we're going to feel differently about it. But at this point, I don't. Well, that's the thing, too, is I don't think that's necessarily something that has to happen before the story gets going. You know, I mean, he's got two more episodes on Earth before they even leave on this, whatever this mission is. So I don't, yep. who knows what he's doing. At least one of those episodes involves him going to talk to Riker and Troy. And... Th- I think there's plenty of opportunity to spend more time with him and kind of get into his mindset just before the whole thing kind of kicks off, you know? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Again, the caveat, these serialized things, it's hard to tell what's actually a problem until it's all over. And then I have a lot of thoughts about what what it is. Um, What do you think about Picard, the return of Patrick Stewart? Brent Spiner, too, I guess you can talk a, a little bit about. I thought he was great. I mean, I thought I thought the acting across the board was really good. I thought uh, Allison Pill at the Daystrom Institute was really great. Uh, she really sold the hell out of uh, <laughs> that stupid necklace. Yes. Ne- that's probably <laughs> one of my bigger problems is like they're reacting to this necklace as though it's not something that they bought in like a 25 cent bin. You know, one of those. It's very simple. Things. It's not it's yeah. not like it's a complicated thing. That's like only an Android could have built this or something yeah. like that. And Picard yeah. responds to it by saying, oh, what an unusual necklace. And it's like, well, not really. It's just <laughs> it's two like rings. Two, two wedding bands glued together yeah. that you've stuck. Yeah. I um, is is the ring. They do a cut towards the end where they cut from the ring to the Romulan Borg cube. Mm-hmm. They they show a galaxy in the background that matches the ring. Is that supposed to mean something or is that just like a, an artistic choice to have it blend into the background? It felt like it just felt like an artistic choice to me. I mean, who okay. knows? Maybe yeah. it's not. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I thought I thought Patrick Stewart was was good. Was really good. It's uh, excellent like just, running work by a stunt double. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's like thirty five. <laughs> it's um, the Irishman, except only in running form. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I thought he was really good. Um, it, it definitely is a different approach to the character, which is nice. Uh, because you get flurries of old Picard, depending on, you know, the situation. Like I thought the, um, um, interview scene was really good where he's kind of just there to answer, answer questions for a fluff piece. And then he kind of like 
has to dial it in a bit when he when he's when he's got to throw it back in the reporter's face. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he. I mean, he's he doesn't have a ton to do in this one really. He's just sort of like discovering stuff, um, and it's not a lot of interaction of a really dramatic nature. But I think the way that he's playing Picard is is nice, where he's not trying to just recreate the old character. Uh, he's trying to evolve him a little bit. I think he's. It's interesting because I have a hard time telling if it's acting in the sense of is it just Patrick Stewart being old at this point? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it's hard to tell if it's a conscious choice. He feels like he's written like Picard, basically, which I think is good, mm-hmm. which is appropriate. And I think that as a writer, you can just rely on the aging of your actor to carry that for you. Be like, play it the same, except obviously now you're operating at 25% speed, basically, because you're right. now very old. Um and I think that they did a good job of, really, honestly, he he's appropriate. The only scene that I think was a mistake that they did with Picard in terms of what he is now is when Dodge blows up and he's caught in the explosion for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's silly enough that you have an old man and you feel the need to put him in the explosion. It's not enough he can't just witness her blow up, you know, and be like appalled from a distance but safe. And then after he blows up, apparently all they do is drop him off at home and lay yeah, him on the couch. That was, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple things like that that I, I don't. I would. That's I discovery would say, to me. That's yeah, just, that's discovery writing. There's a couple things like that that feel like discovery, but I think that they're covered by the the, the content being good enough. Yeah. The other one for me is is the really ham fisted thing at the end where Allison Pill's like, "Huh, yeah, I guess that's what happens when you create them." And he's like, "Them? So yeah, like, yeah. They're always made in pairs. Like, always what? made in pairs. Always Why? make a backup." Just like Why, you needed a, a backup mic for today, you should yeah, always I have a backup. I, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's it's like it's a little bit of a ham-fisted way to, you know, make it make it a hard and fast rule to explain why there's a second one. Um, eh, whatever. It's it's. I I prefer. Th- I guess I prefer that instead of drawing it out. Like I'm the one thing I'm really happy about is that the there's a lot of stuff that. Uh, could have. I think we kind of speculated there was going to be more um, mysteries for the season that they they just tell you what's going on right away. Yeah, like the, I, the girl I'm, I'm in particular. The thing that we were we were worried about is that it was going to, the the story was going to be one of those. Oh, the the girl is the key to everything, but nobody knows what her thing is. It's like they they tell you in the first episode she's an android, a super advanced android that was created by. Uh, you know, a single neutron cell or whatever. Unless this is memory. Unless this is all not true, which could happen. They could flip that and say none of this has actually been the case. I like. Is she dead? Do you think the original version is dead? Does it, did uh, you ever see a body? Yeah. yeah, she looked. She looked pretty dead when she. She was going. Networked. She was on her way to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, anything like that is possible. But as far as it stands right now, who is the girl is not a mystery, and right. I, I, I appreciate that because. Uh, I don't we don't have to worry about it. We can get to we can get to the interesting stuff, yeah, which is figuring out what that means. You don't have to worry about it, and it's also I think it's nobody gives a shit. That's the kind of mystery where it's like you know, in this story, why why is Picard involved in this story? And if it's just oh, this girl is a mystery that he needs to solve, that's not interesting from the, the from a Picard angle. Then it's right. just Picard going on an Easter egg hunt. That would be that would be awful motivation for Picard, unless he was oh, yeah. so desperate to get back into it. But th- this grounding it in data, when you've shown us a dream sequence about Picard, uh, is upset about what happened with Data, mm-hmm. feels more appropriate. It's still too fast, I think, but it's it's a logical tie-in to make sense for Picard to to continue on with that journey. And it's also it's not just it's not just that it's Data; it's that Picard has lingering regrets about not being able to save more people on Romulus and on Mars. Uh, and also that this girl, he fails her the first time around and she gets killed. And then once he figures out there's a second one out there that he has the opportunity to help, that's what gets him off the couch. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot more interesting in a, uh, from a character standpoint and from a motivation standpoint than just, you know, who's this girl who's got secret ninja powers or whatever. The thing that I... um. The thing that I really like about this is that 
I do like the setup for what they've done. I don't think there, there's mm. nothing remarkable about this. And this is pretty much what people have been speculating that they're going to be doing, which is that the destruction of Romulus caused this event. And then the, the, the kind of the wild card is the rogue synths, in my opinion. Like, that's kind of the strange part that they're going to add into this in some sort of contradictory or conflicting manner. I like the setup for it. I think that this is yeah. a good place to put Picard at this point. I think that it's somewhat on the note. Like, there's there's always this internet feedback about, um, you know what, their Star Trek political or something when they heard about what uh, Picard, uh, Stewart had a sort of interview about, like, he doesn't want to, be, he wants to talk about Brexit, he wants to talk about Trump, he wants to talk about, like, mm-hmm. failing institutions. The failure of institutions has been something that every show of the past two decades has wanted to talk about yes. since The Wire. Yeah. <laughs> I think The Wire made that, like, something that you want to talk about. Right. And I... The the most on the nose I can see here is the reporter sequence, where it's clearly like this is a parody of cable news at this point, where it's kind of gotcha journalism. Like, we're going to promise to bring you on to talk about this, but actually we're going to ask you questions about this, and you're going to get upset about it. Right. That felt a little bit silly, but... I, th- I is think it the that- first is it the first news reporter in the history of Star? No, I guess there were reporters in uh, Generations as well. Yes, but generally, uh, you don't Kirk's see thing. news reporters very often in Star Trek. So I, I think what I want to do is I was confused earlier, and I think the Discord clarified uh, what was going on here. I was a little bit confused about the timeline and what's going mm-hmm. on here. So you can correct me if any of this is wrong. Romulus goes supernova, or the star does, mm-hmm. and uh, Starfleet assembles a fleet to go and rescue the Romulans. So they're building yeah. this fleet on Mars. Before they can start rescuing them, this, the rogue synths, which is still ridiculous. I don't know why they don't call them Soong-style androids, which is what they always call them. But um, those guys attack Mars, destroy the rescue fleet, and burn Mars, uh, burn up the atmosphere. So no one can live there. There's like 100,000 dead or something. Right. At that point, Starfleet says, we can't rescue the Romulans anymore. So they kind of go back on their word, and that's what upsets Picard about it. So Yeah, more or less, that's what I, what I took. So my only... My only conflict about this is going into it, and I think that I was importing external stuff into this. Going into this, I thought there was a refugee crisis. There does not seem to be a refugee crisis at this point because the Romulans are mostly dead, right? Well, they saved—doesn't it say he saved 900 million of them? No, that's what the fleet was supposed to do. But the fleet is destroyed, so they can't rescue them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know what the, what the number is. I mean, clearly there are some left. There are some, but I think it's a very small number. So, but this goes into my, this goes into just the conflict about, I, I was told that there was a refugee crisis, but this doesn't seem to be the case. No one in this episode says anything about a refugee crisis with the Romulans. It seems to be very few. And I think it's right to make most of the Romulans die. If only because it makes 2009 Star Trek make sense where Nero was Mm -hmm. not wrong about the Romulans being destroyed Mm -hmm. in that timeline. And, like, if they had saved all of them and there was a refugee crisis, Nero's motivation is almost nonsensical because none of the Romulans would have died at that point. Sure, sure. So, yeah. and I, I think this is better, but it's also not a refugee crisis. So, I, I, I just, I hope they don't turn it into some kind of refugee crisis, not because it's political, but just because it doesn't make much sense narratively if they've saved a lot of Romulans from what happened. Mm-hmm. I think the failure is more important to this storyline and that regret that Picard was not able to do anything is more important for how he feels at this point. Yeah, that's that's what my read of it was, is that it's it's uh I guess refugee crisis isn't the right word, but it's it's more it's more that they they did nothing to help the people who needed the help. Right. They they, they went back on their word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Um which yeah, I think is a, is a lot more interesting, especially because it, it it it's it it's a choice made that isn't inherently evil, but it's not inherently right that they went back on their word to save the Romulans in order to to quell the synth revolt or whatever. That stuff is still my <laughs> least favorite part because it just sounds so hacky sci-fi. It does. It sounds very you know, a bunch generic. Of, a bunch yeah. of synthetics attacked a ship building place on mars that's not star trek yeah but whatever i'll 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 take it the um i 
I mean, you're left with, so you have the Romulan Borg cube at the end. And mm-hmm. if the, if this is the way they're going, the way that I'm speculating is that the Romulans are pretty much shattered at this point. And to order, in right. order to bring themselves back, they need to use this Borg technology, which is pretty much overpowered and will be able to sort of rebuild their civilization or something like that. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, I mean, obviously we don't know because we only just got a quick shot of it, but my... They call it a reclamation site, interestingly. Yeah, I assumed that they were using the... It's not just the Romulans who are doing stuff over there. I I I took it as because the the other twin was over there. I took it as more of like that's where the UN or whatever was was uh, using as their base for for Romulan aid or something. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. I, I, uh, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I, that's just what my assumption was based on that one shot. Obviously, they'll uh, ex- expand on it. And outside, I mean, so I, I guess we'll see. There's no point in really speculating on the podcast about what that is. But I, mm-hmm. that would be, I, I guess I was I was a little bit relieved that it's not a refugee crisis, I guess. Yeah. And again, not because it's a political hot button issue or anything like that, but just because I don't think that makes a lot of sense in context of what's going on in the universe at this time. Because like, I, I know this is Star Trek and stuff like that, but there is this kind of question you have to ask about how can there be a refugee crisis in this universe? Like that doesn't really sure. make a lot of sense. Yeah. The other, the other examples, planet, you know? the other examples I think always had a good rationale for it, which is the Bajorans had a refugee crisis because they believe that Bajor is spiritually important. So they don't want to leave there. The Maquis mm-hmm. considered that place to be their home, and they were upset that the Federation sold them out. So they were fighting mm-hmm. because the Federation sold them out. The Romulans are a species that moved to their planet from Vulcan. So it's not like they right. lived there forever. Like They're pretty much nomadic as it stands. And so having them be unwilling to leave, and also, as someone mentioned in the Discord, the Romulan Empire implies they have multiple planets in their in their grasp. You know, they're, they're a oh. thing at this point. I I guess I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to logically say how a refugee crisis works in this universe. No, yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm just sticking on the the empire thing. I don't know if that necessarily means they have multiple planets, but oh, you wouldn't uh, think so. Well, I don't know. I mean, hmm. the 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 British Empire has multiple countries, but you know, I guess that's they don't have starships, so maybe they couldn't have. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it empire, goes, empires conquer. I guess would be the definition. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, yeah, I like, I, uh, I think it's actually an even, it, it's, I think it's an even more appropriate, um, thing that they're doing mm-hmm. instead of it being a refugee, refugee crisis that they're focusing on the failure to act and the failure to, uh, to help people in need. That seems like an even more, uh, relevant, way to approach that yeah. instead of just doing the you know the generic refugee thing which too many people yeah yeah which is and it, it also fits um 2009 because if you look at if you want to tie them together picard tries to do the rescue fleet right and spock mm-hmm. acts on his own to try to stop something but he also right. fails at stopping it which causes this timeline split to go through and i think right. that i think the way that we're talking about it now both of those make sense in this timeline yeah Excuse me. And it, uh, not I that I care about, sorry, not that I care about the time together, but I, I was very, I, I was hoping that it seems like it's the jumping off point that I didn't want there to be a weird mistake made and be like, why, why is this happening at that point? Like, that right. doesn't really tie in. And I, I think they did a good job of fixing that. Yeah. I mean, it, for, for all the, uh, the things you can criticize Star Trek for generally, uh, adherence to continuity or, or lack of adherence to continuity is actually not, they do a mm-hmm. pretty good job with it. Yeah. Uh, even at least in the stuff you watch on screen. Um, But uh, yeah, the, the thing that I really like about the failure to save Romulus or the P or the Romulans um, lives, Clay save lives, (laughs) not Romulan lives. (laughs) Um, The thing that I like about that is it's sort of ultimately it was the, the test for the Federation and for Starfleet. Like that's what they're there to do mm-hmm. essentially. And they failed at it. Yep. And I find that to be very interesting. Um, as more so than, than a lot of other, uh, ways that they try to, um, put a, put a bit of a stain on Starfleet. Like I, I would take this a hundred, a hundred times out of a hundred over whatever Marcus is up to in, in, uh, 
yeah. into darkness, you know, like, cause it's not, it's not born out of evil or subterfuge. It's just, they had to make a choice and in retrospect, it probably wasn't the best choice, but also a choice had to be made. You know, it's one of those things also where it's like, if you really want to get into the woods about, does it make, does that crisis actually make any sense? They got a lot of ships. Uh, and you could have sent like two galaxy class starships or whatever the, the modern equivalent of that is to Mars to take out the synth guys mm-hmm. while you use the rest of your ships to go pick everybody up from Romulus. I don't know. Like I feel, but, uh, Mars I, is I, unprotected. I, yeah. I, I, I like that. Um, that essentially the Federation and its greatest heroes had a giant test and everybody failed. Yeah. And I, I think to allay the fears of people squawking about politics, um, I think the Federation's choice there has a kind of logic to it. Picard mm-hmm. might not like it, but there is a there is a kind of like I, we're being attacked by rogue toasters. Basically, like we need to, we need to step back and uh, figure things out. Like we obviously can't protect our front door, and maybe they'll get into this. Maybe they'll ruin that a little bit more and having a cliche evil admiral come in and say, no, like we did it because we don't like Romulans basically because they're dirty or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. We'll see where, the, where all that comes down to, I suppose. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting there to be some sort of, uh, guiding hand behind the synthetics attacking Mars. Um, yeah. whether or not that's from inside or from outside, I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, Maddox is responsible for it or something like that. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would say, probably not that, but well, maybe, but I don't know. It seems weird that they would have him be the creator of this uh, amazing army. Ar- no, well, it, it seems weird that they would have him be the creator of this amazing, futuristic, uh, high-end, beautiful, uh, synthetic person, but also be the manufacturer of the destruction of at the that the 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 manufacturer of the thing that gets synthetics outlawed, you know. That's true. Yes, that's true. I had the timeline back in my mind. I thought they were banned before they were attacked, but they attacked and then they were they were banned from right. that. So yeah. that makes sense. Um, so it's really it's really a, a, a closer analog to vaping than anything else. Yeah, that that'll certainly not date the the podcast at all. But it's, it's a timely <laughs> reference. What it's um, a time, it's a timeless activity. I. I did enjoy this. I think that this has potential for what it's trying to do. And I think that they did a pretty good job at, <coughs> excuse me. I think the, the acting is good. As you say, I think that, um, when you talk about Spiner in the dream sequence and data, mm-hmm. I suppose a little bit, uh, we talked about on previous podcasts about how I, I prefer when they artificially influence data, when they make him look mm-hmm. a little bit not human. I think he's good here. I don't think he's lost a step. I think he looks good. I think his yeah. eyes are changed enough now where he does not look human when you look into his eyes. There's something missing there. They have a great sequence in the opening uh, scene, the dream sequence, where as Mars starts to get attacked, I assume data is sort of mimicking one of his offspring synths. Like he sort of turns his head very slowly in a very robotic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, did you think of anything, is the show going to play off the five Queens? Does that mean something? Is that uh, obvious? The obvious thing is board queen, but I don't know what the reference or what the symbolism of five of them would be. Yeah. Five queen of hearts feels like a very specific thing to have him have as a, a deck of cards yeah. or a hand, of, hand cards, of cards, especially, especially when the next dream that Picard has is what gives him the idea to solve the next piece of the mystery. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine that that's a coincidence. I don't know what it could be. We'll see. We'll see if it actually comes back and means something, but um, I did like the performance. Those two seem uh, great together. They're obviously yeah. great. It does. Yeah. Did you, did you have a problem with them playing cards? Because no. my first response, my first thought was Picard never played cards. Data played cards all the time. All good things he said. Yeah, that's the only time he played cards in the entire history of the show. And I, I, so I understand why they did it, but at the same time, it's not like Data and Picard were famous for having card games together. It's just a dream, I guess. You'd have, yeah, they're they're dreaming, I suppose, and uh, none of that actually matters. No, it it doesn't matter. I just thought it was an interesting little. Yeah, I, I I thought that that was filmed very well. It's satisfying to it hear the clinks of the uh, the the chips and everything like that. And we'll see if the the five cards actually ends up. I anything. want them playing three dimensional chess 
or four to whatever that multi-level chess game is that they had from the original series. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else positive about this or negative? I suppose I the the main takeaways. I I don't like the the exposition. Really, I think that they mm-hmm. dump a lot on you. I think that the dodge scenes are all generally the weakest, and not because of the actress. I think that the writing there is generally too frantic for what they're trying yeah. to, to get across. And I I was like. I was laughing at the scene. There's the scene where she escapes from Chateau Picard and she's sitting in like a back alley and she calls her mother on the phone and her mother's mm-hmm. like, go see Picard. And she's like, I, how did you know that? I, I didn't tell you about Picard. And she says, just go. The first time I saw that, I was confused. I thought, oh, the mother is somehow in on trying to recapture her or something. But now it seems on rewatch, that's not the case. It seems like it is her mother who's trying to get her to go back to Picard for protection. Yeah, it seems like that she knows what's going on. Yeah, okay, yeah, because, and she say. activates her daughter, so she's like focus, and then her daughter can do the very quick, right? Like, right. yeah, searching for yeah. thing. I think the worst scene in the show is probably the the scene where Daz shows up at Chateau Picard. Yep, uh, for like a multiple multiple reasons. Um, not only because. Uh, Picard's response is to be all in right away about this, like I said, about this weird bleeding stranger showing up talking about killing people. Yeah. Um, but the, the, I think, I think the dialogue that Dodge has in that scene is worse exposition than the dialogue at the Daystrom Institute. Mm, okay. Because the stuff at the Daystrom Institute is stuff that the audience does need to know. Um, and I, I think, I thought that stuff was played out. Uh, smoothly enough that it didn't really occur to me that Picard may or may not already know some of that stuff. Because um, I, I think the acting in that scene is really good. Like, Alison Pill sells that necklace better. Like, that sequence where she clocks what the necklace is and then reacts to it and then kind of, like, sits down and says, I wish you would come here on any other day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she does a really good job making making you believe that that dime store necklace means something. Um, but the scene with at the at the chateau it just reeks of modern bad tv writing where she's talking about how she's going through beat by beat everything that happened where she's like i knew how to move and i knew how to fight and it's like lightning striking it's just it feels an awkward metaphor comes in out yeah, of nowhere. yeah it's yeah. it's not the way humans talk to each other um especially in that situation i think it's it's too uh, it feels too much like TV writing. Picard's like I alone love you. I alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Like it's just I it's do, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's weird. Like it's it's I complain I don't know. about discoveries. I complain about discoveries melodrama. Right. I think this largely avoids melodrama, but that scene is melodramatic in a yeah. lot of ways. Like it, it's yeah. a heightened sense of what's going on and what's. Uh, what's necessary at that point i think largely patrick stewart is able to diffuse melodrama in a large part due to his acting ability like when he speaks you know people praised early tng as he was the only reason that was saving things because whenever whenever he says a line it sounds like it's like oh like that's believable in this universe that this guy would be talking about this um he feels the same way here i think the only other i'm um the other thing that I was worried about Discovery was going to be action sequences. And I think that this episode definitely feels like they were like, we've had characters talking for seven minutes. Sure, we can't yes. lose the audience at this point. Let's have a kung right. fu fight. <laughs> like that's, that's, yeah. that's how we bring them back in. And a lot of the action here, it, it, it just sticks out to me like a sore thumb because it, when you compare it to all the other Star Trek fighting it doesn't feel like it belongs in the universe that they do right. here. Like whenever data was supposed to fight or do something in the original TNG series, he would basically just grab something right. And like right. crush it or something he fight, like that. He fights like, he fights like Robocop. Works. Right. Yeah. He fights like Robocop. A lot of, and- lot of clotheslines and <laughs> stiff arms and stuff. Yeah. And this is a bit more kinetic and there's more action to it, but it's at the same time, it just, whenever they do it, it just feels like they're either killing time or showing off on some mm-hmm. level, like it's like, eh, I don't really care about this. You know, it, it does feel like it happens every 10 minutes to keep you invested in what's going on. I, I honestly, I felt the same way where it did feel like, you know, every, every TV show has a really great stunt crew that they want to put to good use. Um, and that's why that scene at the Chateau was even weirder. Cause it like, why, why does she know how to, 
why is being a robot make her like a kung fu mask? Yeah. Um, but it was I, I kind of wished like I, I get it that they have to do it. They have to make it interesting or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, I kind of wish that they had used it as a plot point. I think it would it would stand out less if they did that, where if like during the scene with where he finds out that she's da- uh, uh, a creation of Data's positronic memory or something, he was like, well, why does she know how to fight like that? Data was never built to fight. You know, like so, something something to make it a little bit more part of the story instead of just we need her to do some cool shit for yeah. five minutes. My assumption is because when she's being arrested, uh, they say she's activating, which mm. I assume maybe this means that she's built to be some kind of android soldier in that case, like where mm. like she's, you know, she's um, she's basically Rambo who has like a memory plug and like he only sure. realizes or the born identity would be a better case of explaining right, like right. what it is yeah. like when you when you unplug him, his abilities become latent and he's able to do whatever he wants. That would be the. I kind of hope they don't do that. That's a very cliche type thing, but I, I don't know. My question about, is she truly blood and flesh, or is she an android? Like in the um, Inheritance episode of TNG in the final season, they had an episode where Data's mother appears, and mm-hmm. everyone thinks she's human. It's only when she falls off a cliff and her arm falls off that people reveal that she's an android underneath everything. And what are you expecting here from Dodge? Is she an android underneath it, or is she basically a clone of someone who they're calling a synthetic? Um, I feel like, uh, it, it feels to me like there's going to be more than just, she's an Android. I think, I think there might, I mean, let's put it this way. You don't, you don't introduce the Borg into the situation unless that's going to come into play somehow. Mm-hmm. And clearly they're talking to Hugh and they're talking to seven of nine who are both people who were cyborgs. And are now no longer or whatever. But I, it wouldn't surprise me if she was some sort of combination of the two, where it was like the key to like she is flesh and blood, but she's also an android. So you know what I mean. So it's like some yeah. somewhere in the middle, like closer to Blade Runner, where it's like they are synthetic, but they still bleed and stuff. Yes. Or yeah. Terminator. Yeah, there's an ex uh, exoskeleton or uh, exo whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's. I, I think. I think we're we're far enough into the f- the future science here that the idea that there is this this perfect blend of cybernetics and flesh or whatever yeah. they talk about is, that in the Daystrom Institute scene too. Right. How about like yeah. is this possible? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just because she is flesh doesn't mean she's not an android. You know. Yep. And Picard, you know, Picard should know because of the episode Inheritance that he should know that it is possible to make a flesh and blood android, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Whatever, man. <laughs> uh, anything else here? I, I, I did want to talk about – I did want to talk about one thing. Um, you know how it's become kind of hip as far as making sequels to stuff where they kind of pick and choose – what bits of continuity that they want to uh, uh, continue, or if you, you know, you've got your Halloween movies that decide up oh, everything after the first one doesn't count, or Terminator, where it's like, well, everything after the second one doesn't count. We're doing a sequel to the second one, even though it's the fifth movie. Um, I have a lot of respect for franchises that continue their series and not only don't ignore the stuff that people quote unquote don't like or like less, but they actually like double and triple down on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this one in particularly, <laughs> that's what I loved about this is not only are they referencing the 2009 destruction of Romulus before shows up in yeah. this movie. They don't, uh, sorry, in this episode, they don't just reference him. The, he appears like you see his physical. He's dead, but yep. or dis- disconnected or whatever. Poor before, poor be- he really yeah. got shit under the stick. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like uh, uh, I thought uh, Endgame kind of did the same thing where they were like, nobody likes Thor: Dark World. We're gonna double down on Thor: Dark mm. World by having a lot of stuff happen in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I kind of respect that because it, it's, it's uh, everything. Everything that's on the table is on the table, and is equally as important as everything that else that happened. So I, I enjoy that they take it all as a piece and they use the most recent stuff in their timeline as the jumping off point for the next part of their story. And it's not just, Oh yeah, 
Uh, data, he didn't actually die. We plugged it. B4 is actually just data now. You know, yes. it's not, it's not that would have been stuff. awful. They can't do that oh, because Spiner's yeah. too old. But the, like they were, they were limited in being able to do that, and that's a good decision to not have B four. Yeah, you know? I I I saw a few places mentioning that um, it doesn't follow continuity with the show because it's not the same future as all good things. And I and my my response was I I was under the impression that that future was a construct of Q. Well, they also – the end of All Good Things has them saying we can change the future, doesn't right, it? Yeah. Like we, so we, even if it wasn't the exact future, it was altered or it's something. An, yeah, it's, it's a potential future would be the way, right. I guess, that you yeah. can look at it. Same with yeah. um, the past didn't happen the way that it happened in that episode either because Picard didn't know about what was right. going on at Farpoint at that point. Right, so. right. Um, um, but yeah, I, I really – I appreciate when they when they stick to their guns as far as what has and what hasn't happened. Um, which is one of the things that bugs me about Discovery is that they kind of hand wave that stuff in a series that generally doesn't hand wave that stuff. Hmm. Um, Picard brings that up in this, interestingly. He says you can't just wave your hand and make things go away when he's talking to the reporter about like just sort of like swiping away your problems uh, when you're looking at the screen. I thought that was nice. You can't just tardigrade them away. No, no. Spores, mushrooms, having mushroom dinner. Um, oh, it was also it was also nice to see uh, future Boston. That was fun. <laughs> it's you know it's it's still weird to me that modern Star Trek spends more time on Earth than any other version of Star Trek. Yep. You know, like between the Kelvin movies and do they uh, they're on Earth for a, a while, a bit in Discovery at certain points. I think right. Uh, do they go to Earth on Discovery? Maybe not Earth. Ever? I know I they go to they Vulcan, but maybe not Earth. Yeah, but I mean, and this spends a lot of time on Earth. You see a lot of Earth in the in the modern Star Trek. You know, the show about trekking through the stars. Yeah, they're trying why... to trying to get away from it in the sixties and nineties, and now it's all about coming home to where the problems are. I guess. Yeah, which is why it bothers me with the Mars stuff. Because, like I said in a previous show, they never, you hardly ever hear them mention planets in the solar system on on Star Trek, and it, yeah. when they do, it feels kind of weird. Yeah, they um, um, surprisingly don't say Utopia Planitia, which is the way that it's always referenced, which has always been on Mars, but they've always referred to that as that name, and they never mentioned, oh, on Mars, you know, what we're talking about. So they, they, oh, they're okay. interestingly avoiding saying the Planitia name, but they're just referencing Mars to, I guess, reinforce how close it was to home or something. I also noticed that uh, the chances, we talked about it for, for the Children of Mars short, whether or not either of those children come back in any form. Yep. Uh, they definitely upped the chances of that happening after we found out that the uh, um, the Mars thing happened uh, ten years ago. So those those two girls are probably in their early twenties. Yeah, at the point where Picard started. They uh, really underestimated the death toll on the news reporting in Children of Mars too. It, w- it went from four thousand to a hundred thousand over the course of a few a uh, few minutes, I suppose. But and what. I was under the impression that Picard was like on the mission to go save Romulus, but in Children of Mars, they're like Mars has been attacked by rogues since. Uh, Admiral Picard weighs in and says, He's "Yeah, upset. this is yeah. bad." Yeah, you know, it's it's like they it's like they told them that what was happening in the show, but didn't give them all the specifics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll see. I I wouldn't be surprised if those girls never come back. But we'll, we'll I wouldn't either. But I'm just saying the door is more door's open, open now than I thought there was. Um, I, I also hope um, – I kind of hope that there are at least a couple Romulans that have the face tattoos that uh, – Nero has. Nero and his buddies have, if only to, to tie everything together a little bit nicer. What um, I think the Romulans are the only aliens that we, – we see a trill in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever the Dodge's boyfriend is. Oh, yeah. They mentioned what his species is, but I didn't recognize it, or I wasn't uh, yeah. paying close enough attention to what it is. Um, the Romulans will be interesting, I suppose. There's a lot of Romulan characters here. And one thing that I kind of wonder about is there seems in general in modern Star Trek to be a flattening of the alien races, which is to make them all kind of human, but they just look different, like they have different makeup on and things yeah. like that. The Romulans here, 
to me, don't act like Romulans in a way that even when they redesign the Klingons, they make the Klingons act like Klingons. Like they're always kind of a warrior race that is like very hostile and aggressive and yelling and things like that. The Romulans here don't feel that way. And I don't know if that's an assimilation notice or something like that. It feels very of the current era where the current political mindset would be like, hey, man, we're all kind of we're all the same. We're all literally exactly the same. Like no matter like no matter what our differences are it doesn't really matter not in a sense of people should be treated the same but we're like are literally just the same kind of people just on different era and or different areas and i think that the show is kind of embracing that but i wonder if that's intentional or if it's just kind of a we don't want to make the romulans appear too different from uh, from the other characters at this point well to be fair the only romulans we actually spend time with are picard's you know housekeepers or whatever who mm-hmm. i would assume are are more uh guy at the end too is a, yeah but yeah you see him for like two minutes mm-hmm. they don't um, speak like romulans i guess it would be my the, no the, i didn't the, i didn't even realize the romulans had a specific way of romulans speaking. always speak very regally whenever they've been previously they speak like in all the way back to balance of terror they speak very like um they aren't casual in their conversation would be how oh, i describe I them yeah yeah because uh, they're vulcan they, they speak like vulcans basically yeah, if we're going off the way that they treated Spock and Sarek in Discovery, I would expect they're probably just going to be a little more normal because Spock mm-hmm. and Sarek are pretty – like they couldn't even let Spock be Spock. They had to say that he had like dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, he doesn't talk like that because he's Vulcan. He talks like that because he has Asperger's, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do, do but you, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if as we see more of them. Uh, what was your I take mean, on? Sorry, what was your take on the Romulan blood that blows up Dodge? Is that a cyanide capsule bomb that he chews I up and spits at her? I that was the only thing I could think of because I couldn't track that otherwise. Because as far as I know, Romulans don't spit acid, right? Um, <laughs> and his gun also blew up too. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that. I was. assume the acid ate through the gun and caused the gun to caused explode. that to happen. Okay, yeah, I, but it's 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 a weird thing that they kind of pulled out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, I was because if it was a, a cyanide capsule bomb, I was like, just why are they fighting at all? Just biting into your damn things and blow her up if that's what the point of what you're trying to do is. Um, yeah, like I, I, I guess the one thing that I could say maybe she's not dead is because the first scene that they have with her, their mission clearly is not to kill her. Yes, to take um, her. It's, yeah. yeah, it's to take her. And even in, in the second fight, it's not they're not really actively trying to kill her. Well, I don't know, it's tough to tell. But um so yeah, him the the guy killing her like that does seem a little bit uh inconsistent, but I don't know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean maybe it's a um you don't know what the Romulans are doing with the Borg tech? Is this a Borg upgrade that they're giving themselves or something like that? I don't think the Borg ever did that, but who knows? Maybe, yeah. maybe you can do something I, with it. I got to say, I'm I'm fairly excited to see what the modern TV update of the Borg is. Mm-hmm. They show a clip uh, at the end of the... Uh, yeah, you, you get a yeah. really quick look at one of them, but I'm, I'm more interested from the neck down. Because mm-hmm. like, <laughs> we, we were talking about that, right? The... Um, the Borger, the Borger first contact are really good, not just because of the way they sound and look, but because there's also a sort of butchering aspect to what it is to become a right. Borg. Like, they cut off people's yeah. arms and then reattach them with cybernetics, where in Best of Both Worlds, uh, they have that scene where Picard just holds up his arm and they slip over yeah, a power glove. Over. put a glove, a glove over his hand, <laughs> like, a, like a Captain Hook arm. Which is thematically not as impressive as what it means to be a Borg, which is to give up a part of you. Like, your mind right. is literally gone, and then they literally cut pieces off of you and replace it with other machine parts. Which is which is why I've never liked the idea that you can seemingly fairly easily come back from being a Borg. Um, you know, like, I, I don't mind that you can come back, but, like... Se- <laughs> If you capture seven of nine, the Borg, and then two episodes later or whatever, I don't know how long it takes. Don't kill me. Two yeah. episodes later, you've got Jerry Ryan. It's like, well, I don't know. That's a little tough to believe. Like, <laughs> even the was, Borg, even the Borg respected my bitch and bod enough to leave yeah. it alone. <laughs> they only kept it to like my eye and like my hands. Uh, but like, uh, like I would be, I would be more okay with that stuff if, if it turned out that people who came back from being Borg had a lot of like prosthetic cybernetic replacements. So it's like their mind is back, but the Borg has tech has destroyed their body to an extent that they have, yeah. you know, 
it looks like they've got regular hands, but it's robot hands. You know? Hughes, Hughes makeup kind of does that for me. They never had the ability to do that on the show, but the updated makeup does look like it's a big scar. Like the, the, yeah. the, the replacing of the Borg implants is like devastating to you. You carry the scars. Like he literally has a um, sort of slice of his face kind of right. uh, fixed on him. And I think that's do important. You, uh, to have it. I didn't watch Descent. Do we ever see him on the show turn back into human? No. No, okay. okay. In TNG, so no. Hugh, at the end of Descent, Hugh goes off as leader of the Borg break, uh, like the Borg sect that he has individualized, and sure. he goes off with them at the end of it. Yeah. So you can you can assume that the people that he's with in this show are probably those people. You would think so. That would be yeah. logical. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I guess that's it. Let's take a little break. We'll come back, give our final thoughts, and then wrap it up. She was a synthetic. The assassins were Romulan. Oh, she came here to find safety. Like you, Anjaban. Like me. She deserved better from me. I owe it to her to find out who killed her and why. You ask too much of yourself. Oh, sitting here. All these years. Nursing my offended dignity. Writing books of history people prefer to forget. I never asked anything of myself at all. No, I didn't. I haven't been living. I've been waiting to die. All right, Clay. We're here. We're on the stream, so it's a lot faster. But final thoughts about this quickly, and then we'll wrap it up. And then, guys, we'll take a... um, Online Q&A at this point. We haven't been responding to the comments in the stream, but we will at this point after this proper podcast ends. So, Clay, final thoughts? Uh, I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it for a first episode. I think it did everything it needed to do um, to get you into the story and get you going on stuff. The I thought they used the old stuff very effectively um, as far as not just dwelling on it or just showing it for the sake of showing it, but using it as a catalyst to move the story forward, which is really important. And so it's not just, you know, fan servicey stuff, which I, God, I hate saying that, but you know what I mean? I know. Uh, our, it's not, our fan it's service not, per minute ratio is going way up recently over the past couple of years. Yeah. I, I it's, it's not uh, having a tribble on Lorca's desk and a Gorn in the background. It's actually <laughs> stuff that, that makes sense. And they're using it to push the story forward. Didn't you see that? The, uh, you know, the- it's the, it's the it's the visual equivalent of of why the Beastie Boys song works and beyond, and why it doesn't work in two thousand. Yeah, a lot of people are angry about the Beastie Boys. We won't get into that now. But did you notice that uh, the scene at the start after Picard has been walking around his vineyard with number one, his dog? Uh, he's like, he's like, it's not what does the dog have? It's whom? It's actually a triple. Dog caught a little triple in his mouth and was. Is it? Around. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, oh, it's some kind of small say, animal. I can tell you though. That dog's got a couple big tribbles hanging between its he legs. Did. Holy shit. <laughs> Yow. Patrick Stewart does not believe in uh, butchering his animals, I suppose, at this point. We'll say number one. Uh, we'll see how number one comes uh, to bear in, in this. I, I like this as well. I did enjoy it. I liked it more than the Discovery pilot. I, I think it has some holdover problems. I think the, the writing could potentially be interesting going forward. It could potentially be... At least they didn't do that thing in Discovery where they <laughs> the show opened with George Ow and Burnham walking a giant Star Trek Starfleet insignia into the desert sand. Yes. Remember that you remember that's how the yeah. show started? That's how they found them. <sighs> they they carved a, a insignia into <sighs> the sand. <sighs> anyway, sorry, continue. Well, the cutscene from this is that you pan up and you see that the vineyard vines are growing in the shape of the uh, insignia, and that's the Picard. The Picard. You're gonna pull. They're gonna pull back, and it's yeah. It's gonna be in the shape of Data's face. <laughs> he was here the whole time. Yeah, I liked it. I thought this was good. I enjoyed it very much. I um maybe not very much. I had some problems with it. I thought it was solid. I think that it has potential to grow and it's not as uh, it's not as bad as it could have been, really. That sounds very negative. I did enjoy this, but I I was relieved that it was not discovery redone. It feels yeah. different than discovery. I you know, I would go on the opposite side about the same I I I would swing my pendulum about the same way the other direction. Where I would say, I think this is a probably as good as you could have hoped for. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I feel like really being upset with it is fairly disingenuous. I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's upset with it, really. I oh, that's seen good. I, I hope not. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'm just assuming that there are people who are upset with it because there always is. There will be. Loud. There will be. Um, but yeah, I think it's about as good as you could hope it would be as far as something that's continuing a beloved franchise that's been off TV for 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, using the old stuff, bringing in new stuff and giving you a story that doesn't feel like it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, I'd agree. And doesn't fall too much into the discovery trap. Last uh, comment real quick, because uh, people want us to talk about this stuff. What'd you think of the intro music? Not the blue eyes, but the Picard Picard theme song. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I liked, I I liked it. It was fairly restrained. It feels kind of, of a piece of discovery. It feels similar to discovery. Yeah. Um, and I Someone like the made little... a, a Doctor Who reference I didn't get where apparently it's a very Doctor Who thing to have the character appear as the title appears. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, I didn't really think that, but that's, I guess, I guess so. Um, I, yeah, I, found, I, I liked it. Yeah, I found it, um, I found it unmemorable, sort of, yeah. which is not bad. I, I didn't, I wouldn't say it's a bad song, but it didn't, it's very mellow, which I think fits the tone of the series, but it didn't. You know, I, I listened to it a couple of times, and I still can't really, like, give you the melody back or anything. Like, I had a hard time. It didn't sink in with me. It's a very modern TV theme. Where yeah. It's a lot of, like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You know, that kind of yeah. thing, yeah. which they do in every show now. That's it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed the content... Thank you very much and uh, for listening. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file if you're so interested. A couple of dollars a month gets you extra stuff, extra podcasts and all that good stuff. We'll do more streams and things, blah, blah, blah. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. And as always, we give a shout out to our Captain Tier supporters. Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Court, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beardmore. Let me expand this a little bit more, David. David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Yarp, Jeffrey Koch, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Cal Barrett, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elliott, Samuel Custer, Grimstein, Sean Spinobi, Tark, Latif, Tom Howells, Vault 13, Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for your support. And I think that's pretty much it. We'll be back with the next Picard episode in a little bit. Uh, otherwise, check out Rotten Horror Picture Show, the new podcast with Clay and Amanda yes, that just please. came out. And uh, yeah, rate and review that. that on Apple just to get uh, to get that ball rolling. It's always helpful when you at least get a couple of reviews so people know that the show actually exists and does things. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, that would be great. Uh, the response to it so far has been pretty good. So hopefully hopefully some people head over there. Uh, we did The Shining on our first episode, and uh, people seem to enjoy it. And in the next couple of weeks, we've got Frankenstein. Uh, Wes is going to join us for Wes Craven's New Nightmare, uh, which was really Wes Teasdale's New Nightmare, I think. It was. It was a new <laughs> <laughs> not to not to spoil my opinion of that movie, but yeah, that's it. And uh, after that, we do the Quiet Place, and then a, a Quiet Place, and then our first uh, randomizer five movie is is uh, Starry Eyes, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> Good, looking forward to it. Um, oh, I guess I, so. Unless people really complain about how this sounds on the podcast feed, I think this is how we're going to do the Picard coverage, just because it sure. saves me time to get these things out. Um, so we'll do it streaming on YouTube. We'll ignore the chat for a little bit, and then we'll do an after-show thing. I will chop up the podcast and just cut out the audio bits that's not us talking to chat and put that up on the podcast feed for people interested. Unless people really give me negative feedback, that's how we'll do it. So if you have a problem with this and you don't think it's good, let me know. You can email me or whatever, Twitter or whatever. Um, maybe do it politely, but just say you don't like it. <laughs> would be a good way to go about it. Um, dear fuckface. Dear fuckface. How dare you fuck this up? I think that's it. Maybe we'll do this Thursday night, depending on what Clay's schedule is. Thursday night might might work better. We'll have to see. I'll let you know. I'll put it up on Twitter, all that stuff. All right, that's it, Clay. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us, and we will see you next time.